I drove up this dirt road until until the highway was just gone, and then I stopped and I just spent a day there, and that was the first time in my life when I really felt free. friends. Welcome to Painting Pictures. I'm Gabriel Roberts. Thank you so much for taking the time, wherever you are, to tune in and open your ears to this audio file that I have produced for your listening pleasure. We've got a great episode today. It's a thoughtful conversation with a very thoughtful guy named Matt Dyer. Before we get to the podcast, though, uh, a brief message from our sponsor. It starts with a feeling. What would it be like if a pig walked the earth and wore leather made out of cows? What would this pig look like? How would her sunglasses shine on her gorgeous pink head? How would her piggy tail curve from behind her waistcoat? Then I imagine the world this heroine would inhabit. What would the sheets smell like that the piggy sleeps on? How would it sound when the piggy made love? I create a world of romance and porcine style. A world beyond fashion. The world of Ralph Lauren. I'm Ralph Lauren, and everything I design comes from inside my penis. Today's guest is Matt Dyer. Matt and I met at a New Year's Eve getaway 2014, well, right on the, the cusp of 2013 and 2014, or the, the bridge between the two, the cusp of 2014. I don't know if you can have a cusp at the end of something. Anyhow, um, aided by some, some good marijuana and some good vibes, Matt and I got into some some deep waters uh, discussing the universe and all sorts of things. Uh, so Matt was kind enough to come back onto this podcast or come onto the podcast and get back into some of those things with me. So it's a it's a deep conversation. I think you'll enjoy. Um, Matt is a on his way to becoming a doctor. Uh, he's from California. Um, but I think, you'll, as you'll find out, there's, there's a lot more to him than just boring old science and biology, etc. For the podcast, if you have any questions, please send me an email at gaberobertsart at gmail.com. That's G-A-B-E-R-O-B-E-R-T-S-A-R-T 
at gmail.com. The website is the same, gaberobertsart.com. You can find all the information you need about the podcast there. So, again, thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Now, open your ears and your hearts and listen in uh, to this conversation with Matt Dyer. So, um, thanks very much for doing this. Yeah, you're welcome. It's going to be my first podcast. Well, there's a there's a first time, first time for everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was. Uh, I so I sent you that long email, and um, I <laughs> I was a little. So I think it took you. Resp- it took you like a day or two to respond. Yeah, I I always take a day or two to respond, especially because I was on, I was still on break. So you're in break mode. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's good. It's good to give things time. But yeah. then in my head, I was like, oh boy, like, <laughs> I, <laughs> I overdid it. I sent songs. <laughs> this guy's thinking, whoa, who is this cat coming on a little strong? But uh, no, I, I, I knew you'd be, uh, you'd be down. But it is a little. I, I do really appreciate you um, coming on. You know, it's, it's one thing to have uh, drunken conversations. Uh, Right. At a New Year's weekend, another to bring it bring it into uh, the real world space. Right. And put it online. And put it online. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So I, we are recording now. Uh-huh. Just, just so you know. Better watch what I say. Well, yeah. Um, <laughs> not really. You know. I I, I don't think there's a. Uh, well, I guess you have med school applications, so... Right, everyone's always paranoid about what they write or say on the internet, but have, I have nothing to hide. That's good. I don't I don't think I do either. Um, have you changed your Facebook name? Uh, no, but I did make sure to go through the profile and, uh, you know, delete some embarrassing things from, I don't know, college and the years after... Yeah, that's prudent. Some yeah. some shots, taking some shots. Right. There was, there was um, one school I went to, one of the students told me to make sure to get rid of all the embarrassing pictures because if you go to that school, they'll go find them on your profile and then at the beginning of orientation, they'll do a slideshow of everyone's most embarrassing pictures. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Actually, yeah. I enjoy that, the spirit of that, because the other way is, like, these people actually are looking for straight, you know, students that have been on the straight and narrow. Or, right. I don't know. They always... do make us go through a criminal background check, and I was glad to find out that I'm not a criminal. Wait, what did you have to do that for? To get into med school, you have to um, just basically allow them to run a background check on you. Oh. So they, they search all these public records, see if you have any warrants out, any right. prior convictions. So for some crazy? reason, I was so nervous when I got the results, <laughs> even though I have no recollection of ever being convicted for a crime, but still. Yeah, I got, uh, I got pulled over by the police once in high school 
and I remember um, thoughts of um, well, I wasn't driving, but I was in the back seat, and and we had smoked pot, and um, you know, I was I was a junior or something, and the thoughts going through my mind in that parking lot as I pulled us over were about like my future right. and how this was gonna ruin me, <laughs> but it, um, nothing ever came of it. I just took a, um, I went camping last week in eastern Nevada, and there's there's certain stretches of road that are just really flat and empty, and it's very easy to speed without even thinking about it. And the other thing is, you can be speeding and not realize that there's a, you know, a car within, like, within, I guess, radar detection, but just so far away you can't even see it, and that that kind of happened to me. I was driving and then I, in front of me, there was this, you know, tiny little dot. And then I realized I started slowing down and then it was a police officer, but I guess he, he, uh, clocked me going over the speed limit before I slowed down completely. And he pulled me over and he said, um, he asked me what I was doing out there. I told him I was going to, I wanted to go visit the specific park. And I guess they take pride in their parks out there. He's like, "Okay, I'm gonna let you go off on a, I'm gonna let you go on a warning." So. Oh, nice. Out off. Yeah. You're, uh, yeah, you're you flattered Nevada's parks. Right. I, was, I, I basically said, "I'm here to see your state's natural treasures." <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, well. <laughs> enjoy. How fast were you going? I, you know, he only clocked me about seven miles an hour over the speed limit. Oh, what was it? Seventy. It was seventy, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good. How well? How fast were you going before you slowed down? I I might have been going a little faster than that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a bunch of um, there's a bunch of wiggle room, and it's funny when you. I remember my girlfriend in college got a a speeding ticket and going online and kind of reading through, and there are people that obviously like make make it their business to speed and mm. always get off because they know the right exactly the right questions to ask the officer they know exactly what not to say mm-hmm. um, and they <laughs> and they just always get off wow we actually went i went to court with her um on the day and and the officer didn't show up uh so we got off and we didn't really have a plan for if if he was there. It was just gonna be. <laughs> right, you just take the gamble. Yeah. Yeah. Hope he doesn't show up. Uh, so I just want to give our listeners a little bit of context. Um, you're. Uh, would you consider yourself a scientist? I guess I've been. I have some train, some science training, but basically, I'm. I'm more of like, you know, a future med school student yeah. and I took all the sciences and this year I'm teaching the sciences and teaching chemistry and physics at, um, for university students. And, um, so, you know, I kind of have, I definitely think of myself as a scientist or at least having a science point of view, yeah. but I, I don't do the research that a professional scientist would be doing. Right. Cause that's not your, your, you're working on does that appeal to you? Uh, that's not really. Yeah. I, I gave it a, a try and uh, maybe it wasn't the right project. So 
maybe in medicine there's going to be some research that that resonates more with me but yeah i was doing something very very chemical just purely chemical and um i really really didn't feel like uh it was very hard for me to sit in a basement and just, you know, put chemicals in a tube yeah. for the afternoon when the sun was out. So, oh yeah, so especially are... yeah. So I wasn't being paid either. So that also yeah, it doesn't help. Yeah, yeah. Some people are getting paid lots of money, and they must be listening to podcasts. I guess I don't know if they if that <laughs> if they let you, but it seems like it can get pretty boring. Yeah. Um, but right, we had, so, so we met at this, uh, at this, uh, little New Year's celebration, a mutual friend organized, and, um, we had a couple, a couple of good conversations, and, and that was your science perspective is what kind of I enjoyed, uh, enjoyed hearing, and, because I haven't really, ever really, uh, gotten very scientific i very early on sort of knew that i was more of a a creative type or more of a soft sciences more of a literature and art kind of a guy Um, Mm -hmm. and i just once i got to uh high school i pretty much i had some pretty good coaching from my mom where she basically told me that like you know if you're not going to be studying science further on you don't really have to do all of these things because everyone was taking chem and then biology and pre-calculus and calculus and so then at some point i realized i didn't have to go any further and, and i just dropped it really uh, eagerly <laughs> um so i took chemistry uh i never took i guess i took some sort of physics in middle school like some basic stuff and then math-wise, I just I took a semester of pre-calculus, and that was uh, that was pretty strong for me. So that was as far as I got math-wise. Um, but now it's really nice uh, to talk to someone that has some. Um, anyway, I just want to get back into um, to talk to a nerd. To talk to a nerd. <laughs> science nerd, yeah. Absolutely. Or someone that knows what's happening. The, what really fascinated me was when we were talking about what's going on on a molecular level um, with right. atoms and uh, positive and negative charges. And you were talking about right. this one image stuck in my mind of a an atom sort of traveling through space and how its character is different when it's when it's positively charged or negatively charged and how that affects its sort of movement. Mm-hmm. Maybe you can uh, go take us back there. I'm trying to think about what that was. We're, I'm I'm just remembering now. Like we we had this long conversation about the meaning of life, and then that <laughs> turned into another long conversation about chemistry. <laughs> yeah, was it or was it the other way around? Right, I don't know. Um, but something I, I was thinking about recently just today, was that so much of, um, and a little context for this, is I'm, I'm reading this book called Zen at Work that's by um, a design engineer at IBM who's also a Zen master. Cool. And he, he wrote this book about his career there, spent 30 years at IBM while he was 
sort of learning about Zen Buddhism and um, practicing meditation. In the very beginning of the book, he talks about how we draw boundaries with our minds. And really, the boundaries are imaginary. And I was thinking about how in everyday life, everyday experience, we see boundaries very clearly because we, we kind of think of everything as being an object. And so if you're looking at a book, you see where the book ends, mm. where its edges are. Mm. And what you don't see is that there is this connection between really everything is a stream. It's, it's a stream of, um, you know, all this matter in time. Mm-hmm. And so the book came from someplace and it's going someplace and it's been, you know, touched by thousands of people directly, indirectly, people who wrote it. All There's basically this long chain and sometimes I, I kind of imagine it like a the branches of a tree and um, you don't see that. You don't see the past or future of an object, but it's really just part of this long branching chain. When you're, what you're getting is is just a, a snapshot of one piece of one of the branches. Exactly, exactly. You're you're just seeing one leaf, or, you know, at one moment in time. But the book actually exists as a whole, as the whole tree. Well, it's hard to say what it really is, but <laughs> but what what we perceive is that it has this sort of it's physically isolated. You can put your hands around it. Yeah. You can see where it is and where it isn't. Um, but there's this sense that, well, it's not just, it's here right now, but it's not always going to be, it's not just here. It's not just now. Yeah. So there's more than we can see. And on top of that, there's, there are interactions, you know, between the book, there's a gravitational force between all the atoms in the book and every other atom in the universe. There's, um, you know, photons of light being exchanged between it and everything else. So if you, if you really started looking closely at it, you'd start to see that the edge is very fuzzy. Sure. And, and that idea we have, it only seems so definite because we're so big compared to, compared to the building blocks of everything that we can right. sort of see. There's this region that's full of book atoms, and then there's this region that's full of air. We draw a line between it. And right. uh, even that's not totally true. Over time, atoms in the book are being exchanged out. Eventually... Who knows, you know, I could burn this book tomorrow and it could end up in my food in five years and I could right. be eating those atoms. So that's that's also what I mean by this sort of stream of material. Anyway, sure. we don't see that because we just look at objects one at a time. But when you get into chemistry, and this is what's so interesting about it, is because you're looking at the fundamental building blocks of things. You can't avoid that fuzziness. That's all there is to be seen. Just, uh, just uh, if you try to yeah. pin, down, pin down an electron, you can't pin it down. You can't really see it. We can't even say what it is or what it looks like or what it's shaped like. It might not even have a shape. So that, yeah. that just baffles the mind. Yeah, like imagine if you would have a sense of it if, if we were, like you said, if we were much much smaller and we were standing you know beside the edge of a book on a table it, it would just be this chaos of yeah you'd, you'd see flying. things coming and going exactly yeah you say that the book you're talking about atom exchange um like i've heard that you know we i don't know if it was you that said this but that we 
are completely different people every whatever few years that our cells are yeah yeah there's all this turnover in the body because living things are so dynamic you have your like sort of the soft cells that make up most of your body they will turn over their internal components and their cell membranes within two hours or so really and the harder parts like bones will you know be broken down and rebuilt every decade Wow. And, and it's not like every 10 years your body says, all right, time for a new skeleton. It's a continuous right. process where it's always remodeling the bone. Right. Um, and the reason for that is that makes us very um, um, resilient to fractures. Because if you're always, if you always have that machinery going, if the bone breaks, it's just, it just keeps rebuilding. Right. It's doing. So why do old people's bones get brittle? Because essentially there's a balance between that process of building up the bone and that process of breaking it down. And so as people age, the, the breaking down tends to just keep going and the mm. building up tends to slow down. Mm. And for some people it can lead to their bones looking like almost spongy. They, it, there's large spaces that, that right. just grow inside of it. Uh, I'm interested in, I don't know if, I certainly made this connection in my mind when we had that conversation, but I don't know how real it is, but um, connection between one's uh, consciousness or one's energetic field and sort of uh, what we're what we're projecting in terms of an attractive force or a repellent force mm -hmm. um, and how that might relate to an atom and you know it being positively or, or negatively charged. Right. It's um, definitely the connection between it. I feel like you could go into some pretty intense math that's way beyond me <laughs> and try to model things in terms of the um, sort of the frequencies of the... There's, there's so much oscillating going on. And basically the... Um, and, and that's where I see the parallel is what, what attracts a positive particle to a negative particle is that they're actually exchanging these photons or virtual photons of light. And that's an, an oscillation in this electromagnetic field that is sort of a, just sort of like the basic fabric of the universe. Mm. And so, you know, depending on the, the rate of the oscillation, if you have a very fast vibration that's carrying a lot of energy versus the smaller one, less energy. And um, there's something about it that would cause whatever um, force-carrying particles are released by a positive charge, they're going to be recognized by a negative charge as a sign to move towards it, mm -hmm. and they're going to be recognized by a positive charge as a sign to move away. And um, so I don't, I don't know exactly how that works. I've never been able to find a good a good just kind of conceptual explanation of that exchange. Right. But I feel like with people, it's very similar. We have, we have our own oscillations. We're not transmitting, you know, we don't just send one photon to someone else and that pushes them one way or another, but we're, we're sort of always, um, well, what we communicate through our voice, through body language, essentially it's, coming down to managing these vibrations of, 
of air, of light. Mm-hmm. And, um, so there's a parallel there. It's it's more it's more metaphorical, but yeah. I think it's very similar because some people are just going to respond. You know, let's say if you have a particular way of communicating, particular. Uh, uh, what am I trying to say? Because there's there's a lot lot of uh, nuance to the way people talk and the sure. cadence of their voice and the way you inflect your voice and where you look and do you look people in the eye or not. All of those kind of things send messages, and some people are going to receive those messages and say, "Oh, I want to keep talking to this guy," and some people are going to say, "All right, I'm I'm through with this guy," and they're going to take off. So it's funny you have almost. Um, you have a very similar parallel in the way people interact with each other. Yeah, when you think about, um, or what, when you, you describe that the atoms and the positively charged ones attracting the, the negatively charged ones, and you figure, well, that's with sort of within a certain vicinity. I mean, it has to be particles that can are somehow within that the field of that projection. Right. Um, and I think about, um, you know, certainly in our own, in our own realities, it seems w- I, that we have a very l- large uh, field of projection, um, and it's maybe gotten a lot bigger with the internet, or or we're we're just sort of becoming more aware of how far we can reach thanks to the internet. Um, but if you right. think about one's life sort of being made up of, of pieces that that have been attracted to you for, for whatever reason, um, mm-hmm. I, I really like, I really like thinking about that. And ever, you know, it's, it's, I, I, it's important for me to, you know, living in suburbia as I am, it's important for me to remember kind of how far I am projecting and that my reality is, more expansive than what I see, you know, if I just stay here in the house in one day, you know, that this isn't it. Like there is a lot more that I'm interacting with and things that perhaps I'm, I'm drawing to me sort of, uh, slowly and and down the line. Mm -hmm. And that makes me feel better. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There's definitely two, there's kind of like two directions that we, project our awareness of the dis you know things happening at a distance the one of them is you know we're always physically interacting with stuff and so you know you buy a t-shirt that was made in some country or made by some company in a country that doesn't treat its workers well well then you're sort of propagating that in your actions even if you're completely unaware of it right and then, on the other hand, there's you know in that internal projection where we make up, um, we imagine what's going on in places we can't see, and we we yeah. try our best to get the two to line up. Yeah. You know, at, at the end of the day, the only thing that we really perceive is the stuff right, you know, in front of us, right next to us. Right. And we just try to reach a little farther with our imagination and hope. Well, I guess that's the process. That's what growing up is and figuring things out. You figure out how to match your inner picture with the outer reality. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's a big uh, that's a big question. Yeah, and it seems like we're given a kind of a limited uh, framework for doing that because we're taught to sort of define ourselves by um, our our careers and our relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's it, man. That it, you know, finding your um, internal uh, note and and sort of honing that, I feel like, is what I've been what I've been working on, and what sort of relative isolation and and time of being alone has has allowed me to do um, is kind mm-hmm. of get to know what that is, and then have a better sense of you know, when, when I experience the world and when I experience new things, it's, I feel like it's starting to get easier for me to, um, quickly recognize what, what jives and what doesn't. Um, and like make, you know, make decisions for myself and like have my own opinions. Like I used to just form opinions based, I was thinking about this, like in terms of popular culture, it was all about (laughs) like, uh, <laughs> it's all it's all about trying to be cool, and like, <laughs> right. like I never I didn't like Brad Pitt because girls liked Brad Pitt, and so that he was getting the attention that I wanted. Right, where I really didn't objectively, you know. Now I love Brad Pitt. I think he's a great actor. Right. Um, <laughs> so getting my own opinions has been. Uh, it's been a bit of a process. Yeah. I know what you mean. There's, I feel like I've, I've had a similar experience just kind of being able to appreciate that, you know, even though Brad Pitt is getting the attention I want, mm-hmm. he's still a great actor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I gotta, I, I'm only going to deny myself the enjoyment of his movies. If I have that attitude. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. I remember one of the first, when Jack Johnson's first started getting popular, um, very early on, I heard my older cousin say something about how, uh, you know, his music is so uh, wishy-washy. Like, I don't understand how anybody could really feel strongly about him one way or the other. And -hmm. I thought that that sounded very intelligent. And so I (laughs) I just used that for the next while whenever yeah. anybody brought up or anyone played that song <laughs> uh and now i you know I, jack johnson was for years practically every all that i listened to hmm. but tell me a little bit about um about high school and uh kind of that transition or coming of age you know to to going to college and what was uh what was growing up what was high school like for you um, it was just so long ago because I I just turned thirty one, and so def- thank you. I'm definitely older than most people going to medical school, and I had a big gap between college and and now. Right. And um, the thing I was in high school, I, I was all on, I was on this track. I was really into science. I wanted to go to medical school, um, okay. but I was just so complete. You know, speaking of this idea of our inner model versus the outer reality, I was so completely out of touch. There was such a huge disjoint between the two. So um, I really had no idea what was important to me 
Yeah. It's like not even what's important in the world, but like I didn't even understand what was really important to me. Yeah, man. I feel the same and, way. Yeah. So as long as as long as I had that structure of high school to just kind of keep me going on a good path, I was fine. Right. But when I went to college and I I was suddenly able to make a decision for myself, I think I just kind of made all the wrong decisions because <laughs> I was um you know, I had reasons at the time, they just didn't actually make sense. So um I got very, very off track. Yeah. And and just kind of um fumbled around. The weird thing is now I look back in the near term after that, I kind of look back and said, man, why'd they let me do that? But now I look back and I think, well, it really made me who I am today. And in the, in the grand scheme of my life, I might sort of look at that as a very brief period of exploration. Whereas when I was in college, it was my entire college experience. So it seemed like a big deal, but I did a lot of, a lot of trying out different classes and I feel like I just tried to take one class in every department and get a feel for it. Um, and then after college, I just sort of processed what, what I had seen. Um, but at the same time I, I was, I wanted to be, I decided I wanted to be a filmmaker. And so I really? spent years working in LA and, um, didn't, I didn't really, Still, I didn't know what I really wanted, and I just had this sense that if I was a famous filmmaker, it would get me whatever I was looking for. Yeah. But eventually, I realized, well, what I was looking for was not something that would come from um, from Hollywood. So. Yeah. I, I changed paths. Uh, so what are we talking here? The wrong decisions in college. A lot of a lot of video games. <laughs> no, it's a, it's not that. I um. I just mean in terms of, I think when I went into college, I really just wanted to impress people and make people think I was smart. And so I would take classes that were above my level. I just jump into them. And then I, so at first it would be kind of cool. It's like, oh yeah, I'm taking this advanced math class. But then I failed the class. So it was <laughs> stupid. It was just dumb in the end. Uh, but uh, <laughs> wait, what school, where did you go to college? This was at Stanford. Stanford, right, right, right. Yeah, and so that you know, it's a great school, and they'll they'll give you the freedom to do this kind of stuff, which yes. has its pros and cons. So, yeah. Um, well, do you think you'd do anything different? I mean, this is a that's kind of a silly question, but would you do well, anything differently in college? It's it's actually kind of. On one hand, after college, I was thinking if I went back, I would do it differently. Mm-hmm. And it was hypothet- hypothetical. And then I actually did go back to school um, at San Francisco State. Oh, you did the and, post-bac thing. And right? I did the, the post-bac program, which was essentially my second chance to go back to college and and take what I had learned. And it was, it was an incredible experience. It was like a wish coming true, just sort of being able to go back into the college environment. Yeah go into the classes and just do what I knew was the right thing. Yes, be like sure of yourself. Yeah. And, um, and so it was, it's just been such an incredibly good experience. So, um, I, I I only have great things to say about doing that program. It was really wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting how college, um, 
like I, I, I feel very much the same way that for me it really wasn't about what I learned in my classes at all. Although I did take, you know, a fair amount of art and I, I am doing art now. But <laughs> the experience was still much more focused on in the same way high school was, sort of finding my place in this you know land of of young adults and um i would you know i i do i do sometimes think if i went back i would the video games thing was like a that's that's my was my experience like freshman year <laughs> i i played counter-strike source like <laughs> religiously i almost wish i had done that just because it's such a classic college experience now, you know. <laughs> yeah, it is, and you know, if I could go, I wish that I had I had more ownership of it. I, I was like ashamed of it. I I would hide it from, uh, you know, it's a very secretive sort of thing. Mm. But like, I'm sure there were tons of other kids around playing Counter Strike Source. Right. You know, I probably could have found like an awesome club. <laughs> <laughs> If anyone would come out of their dorm room. <laughs> right, if anybody would admit to it, yeah. Right. But um but no, that was that you know, that didn't that didn't match up with the image that I was trying to project. Right. But I'm you know, I'm glad that I uh I'm glad that I had a chance to, to play that much Counter Strike Source. It just you know, it could have been <laughs> it could have not been uh you know, spending as much money as as I was on tuition, right? Um, but I certainly needed to get because that was, uh, you know, that was in high school when I first started playing the game. Um, my my parents didn't want me to, you know, they wanted to limit my video game playing for obvious reasons. Mm -hmm. So then it was this; it was a release in college, um, right? To have the freedom right. to do it. And smoking weed too, and so they <laughs> <laughs> they went hand in hand, of course. Right. Uh, but the, I guess I mean is that I, I I needed to get a fair amount out of that of that out of my system, or I, I needed to do it and find out for myself that it wasn't what I wanted to do. Right. I guess that's kind of obvious. There's a nice um. A nice idea I've I've heard I think it's kind of a, a Buddhist idea or something but that with for addiction or any sort of activities you, you want to uh, pump the brakes on it's better to simply indulge and watch yourself doing it um, right. and just do it until you're so sick of it that you do something else <laughs> right because any preemptive efforts to just change course won't really, they won't really stick uh, right. if it's not really um, wholly self-motivated. Right, because there's there's underlying reasons for those things, and if you stick with it long enough, you'll eventually see the reason. Right, and then you'll see what to do. You know, yeah. you're not just dealing dealing with the symptom. Yeah. So what was uh so you grew up in LA so you came up for school and then did you study any film at Stanford? Uh sort of there it's there weren't many film classes there but there was a like a club the Stanford Film Society 
Mm-hmm. So, um, I, I, you know, I was very active with them and I made a lot of short films. Cool. And they did a workshop, like a, like a weekly workshop where we'd get together and practice things. And then I, I after taking that, I uh, started teaching it and helped other people make short films. In Still in undergrad? Still in undergrad, yeah. Teaching like other students? Yeah. Cool. Um, that's neat, man. What kind of, did you have your own camera? Well, the, the group had, had some cameras we could check out. Nice. So it was interesting. And I, I think what I really liked about it was in that environment, it was purely creative. It, there wasn't much competition. I mean, there was no competition because you could just check out the camera whenever you wanted it. And you could basically make any short film you wanted to make. Uh-huh. Um, you didn't really need approval for it. You didn't have to sell a script to a studio and right. get all the people on board and stuff. So there was a lot of freedom to it. And so it was, I really enjoyed the creative aspect of it. And what was, what was hard was when I started working in LA in the TV and film industry, I realized it was, it, it was pretty much impossible for me to take something creative and be competitive with it. So it, it, that was a, a bridge, at least in, in filmmaking, it wasn't, I wasn't sort of natural enough at it to be able to do that. How does filmmaking, how, how does it become competitive? Well, because you're, you're basically competing with all these other people trying to sell screenplays or get their movies oh. produced. So you have to network and be very aggressive about your whole career and everything the thing is that that comes naturally to some people and they love doing that they love schmoozing and acting like they're really important or something but for me that just never sat well with with my personality and uh, yeah yeah Yeah, it's kind of a different mode you have to go into yeah in turn in science i'm just not like naturally competitive and and the thing is, I really enjoy science, and I don't try to compete with people, but I just can compete with people if I have to, or if it comes down to that. And there's, I guess, in anything, that's what business is, that's what jobs are. You're competing against other people trying to do the same thing, because whoever does it best is going to offer the best service. Yeah. So there's, I can definitely see a need for it. Yeah. The competition. But... I can't. I just can't turn a creative thing. Well, I can't turn filmmaking into a creative competition. Yeah, but in teaching, for example, I, I feel like I'm very creative with the way I teach. Uh-huh. And there's there is like some competition between teachers. Really? And, and I don't. Um, yeah, you wouldn't expect it, but it just, it happens. Yeah. And, no, I, I guess I can. I can yeah. understand it. I definitely don't like it, but at least it's um, it's not. It's you know maybe you're you're sort of pitted head-to-head against one other teacher who's basically, so there's something overlapping in your schedule or something. Your, you know, students basically can choose between one or the other. and oh. that, That's where it gets competitive. But at least it's, it's just two people competing as opposed right. to like you're competing with 10,000 screenwriters. Right. That's overwhelming. Totally. Well, and the, the, you know, the creative thing is competition – uh, I think is pretty is pretty wonky 
um, and it's it's because there are these uh, uh, gatekeepers of um, success and, right. and and production, I guess, and and you yeah. know, like book publishers or, or movie studios or whatever. Right. Um, really, the, they're the producers and publishers. They're the gatekeepers of production, but I think the gatekeepers of success are just the audience, because in the end, even after you've made the whole movie or written a book, it still has to, to compete for attention with an audience. So, and then that's who determines whether it's successful. Yeah, but doesn't it feel like they're um, the the publishers and the gatekeepers are are trying to sort of eliminate that risk of of oh yeah absolutely getting to a point where it's like they they like ref, they're, they're just making things they know are going to and they're almost they're almost creating they're yeah. molding the audience and then forcing you know shoving things down their throat yeah absolutely because if if you were in their position you'd do the same thing because that way they you have they have jobs <laughs> Yeah. They'll have a job in the future. Yeah. Does it seem to you like we're getting, um, I mean, it seems to me that we're starting to, that stuff is starting to crack up a little bit because we're starting to to circumvent those more and more often. Don't you think people are finding ways to get their the media, you know, that yeah. they're into? Yeah, I mean, there, there's always been... Um, there's always been sort of, I mean, well, the very early days of Hollywood, it was very independent. But um, as early as the 20s or 30s, there was, those gatekeepers were already in place, and it sort of became very standardized in terms of what kinds of movies were released. And mm-hmm. and then, it, you know, 40, 20, like in the early 70s, independent film just kind of exploded. Yeah. And we've all, we, since then, we've had tons of ways of getting around the traditional mold even and whether it's totally outside the system or even within the system every once in a while a really great movie gets made in spite of you know all the barriers and kind of kind of slips the, through the cracks of the um the mm-hmm. you know <laughs> industry's own censorship and just, mm-hmm. so what, what i realized was you know if if I wasn't happy with movies being made, instead of spending my whole life trying to make a really great movie, I could just wait for someone else to do it. Because eventually, <laughs> someone will do it, and everyone, you know, every so often you see good movies. And, you do. Yeah. But all no you one, had to do was buy a ticket to watch it. You didn't have to. That's true. Spend any time doing it. But no one can make the movies that you can make. Yeah, that's true. But maybe the ideas that pop up in my head are. Just things I enjoy thinking about, and, right? Yeah, that's been part of my my sort of mental transition because yeah, it, it was hard, to, definitely hard to leave behind a career, especially knowing that the one you're choosing is is so involved and has all these years and yeah, yeah. But, but you, you're feeling pretty good about it. Oh, uh, I feel. I mean, I I really feel like I found my purpose that that's I didn't awesome. have. And, and so I have no doubts about whether I made the right switch. It's just there's that lingering feeling of, oh, I still still kind of wish I could do both, you know, or wish I could go back and do a little bit of yeah. filming. It's just the problem is life is too short. And the day is too short. I know it. 
<laughs> it really they, days do go by fast. Well, you never know. I mean, uh, you can always make movies, and you know, it's the technology is going to make it easier to make movies, and, and mm -hmm. I'm sure that that little arc is not, you know, that storyline isn't isn't over. Right. Right. Um, yeah, the days. I, uh, so I haven't, I haven't been working, um, really for a while and just this week I, well, I mean, I've been doing little bits here and there, but this week I spent two days doing, uh, landscape work. Um, mm -hmm. and it was like a half hour away and it was like, I did like four hours or five hours of work and I was just kind of blown away by coming home and realizing kind of puttering around a little aimlessly at my various little personal projects I wanted to get to mm -hmm. and realizing that I had no capacity for them that I was just spent that was that was my day I mean besides maybe some reading or some eating mm -hmm. that was it and um, and then I just had to wait till the wait until the next day mm -hmm. But it's funny, I, I have a lot of things I want to do, and like I was, last night I was trying to meditate, or I was I was meditating, and I was uh, trying to kind of let this this train of my mind, you know, run, run off the tracks or run out of my mind, these thoughts about all these different things. I was thinking about things I want to talk about on this podcast, I was thinking about um, all sorts of things. And I was like blown away at the inertia that was built up there and how, how it just kept chugging along. And then I, uh, I, you know, I went to sleep and, and this morning woke up and it was like that train was just gone. Mm -hmm. And I thought I kind of tried to restart it, even though I didn't want to, but I did right away. I tried to tap back into all those little storylines and pick them up again. And they just, not, they didn't have any juice, you know? And I, I was just kind of sat sitting there looking out. Um, and it was nice. I, I then did kind of enjoy it. Like, Oh, how nice. Like I have this, a little break this morning where I can just kind of enjoy being here. Right. Um, anyway, it makes me think about that just that that finding that balance of you know wanting so badly to make my mark and wanting so so much to to do things here and then on the other hand realizing how insignificant all of that stuff is at the end of the day right. well could be could not be just right depends on what it means to you right but i guess i found that it it can mean like hardly anything to me. <laughs> right. <laughs> and but it can also seem like everything to me. I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's a tough one. I mean, I cuz I'm in this this whole like oh, I'm an artist and so it's like you know, there's very much like my personal storyline that I feel like attached to and you know, I'm reading about all these great artists and their lives and it's very easy to get attached to my own my own life and the story of my life um, mm -hmm. 
but I, I, I would like to um, sort of just sink back into uh, sink back into the oneness every once in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, how about you? Have you? I remember you were telling me that you had used meditation when you were uh, studying really hard to to shut down yeah. the mind a little before sleep. <laughs> yeah, I've definitely in the last week realized that meditation is is important enough to me that I should be doing it more. And I, I guess also I've kind of realized that I was avoiding it and just trying to replace it with other things that, that don't, that don't make me feel as, as open. Mm-hmm. And also, well, maybe, maybe the bigger issue was in the past year. So I, I started meditating three years ago mm-hmm. and was very serious for a couple of years. And then last year I got busy with work and applications and just really fell off the bandwagon. Mm-hmm. But I also think I just lost sight of what, what it was. Mm-hmm. And I maybe thought it was, I, I had these memories of what I had experienced before in meditation and thought like I knew what it, what it really was about. Mm-hmm. And, and so I thought, that's what it should continue being about. And it wasn't. So I was mm. disappointed so I, and got impatient. And so I just kind of slacked off and there's definitely a spiral out of that. And, um, and recently I've just come back to thinking, okay, well really meditation. It's not about, it's not about accomplishing some like particular goal. Mm-hmm. It's more about being open mm. and, and what that openness is. It's just, it's like, if I can, let things into my awareness that are coming from outside or that are just popping up from my mind. Mm-hmm. They, and I just let them in. That's a very loving action. It's very like a very loving attitude to have. Yeah. And, and maybe it's a much broader definition of love than just sort of like two people who like each other. It's sort of, yeah. Um, it's almost like the most basic human experience just to let things into your mind Yes. And and I said, well, oh, wait, I think that's what, maybe that's what meditation is supposed to be about. Maybe I should try it again with that attitude. So I've, I've been enjoying it a lot more. Good for you. Do you, uh, what's your pose? Are you cross, cross-legging it? Uh, sort of. I can't get my feet up on my, like, I can't do a lotus yeah. position, but... Um, I think they call it Burmese style where you, you have both knees and both feet on the floor. And so your shins are just kind of flat on the floor and crossed in front. Uh, I sit on a little, little, uh, Zen meditation cushion. Did you get yourself a, a cushion? Yeah. I, I, Cause at a certain point I realized I was going to keep it up for a long time. So I got one. Good for you. Before okay. that I was just like rolling up towels and sitting on them. Yeah. But which works, but, Cushions, cushions taking it to a new level. Yeah, I guess it's more of a commitment. <laughs> yeah, that's nice. Uh, I love uh, what y- you say about it just being a loving sort of space of allowing. Right. Um, got a, a candles going and a little altar setup. Any? Uh... No, just because. No, I don't. That that doesn't do anything for me. So yeah, I. Also, um, none of that hippy dippy shit. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Because there's a certain part of me that's that does like to think of it as a sort of like 
almost a scientific approach. <laughs> like I'm going to sit here and I'm going to see what happens. Uh-huh. It, um, also in the Zen style that I learned to meditate in, you just stare at a blank wall. So I sit right in front of a wall oh. and look at it. So and, where did you, what is the, the, the Zen style you, you learned? Was it through a book? It originally was from a book called Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. Hmm. And um, that kind of, a lot of people who read that book will then go check out the San Francisco Zen Center because that's um, the author of the book founded that Zen Center. So it's called it, Zen Mind Beginner's Mind? Yes. Cool. By Shunryo Suzuki. So I think I, I must have read that book three and a half years ago. And, hmm. you know, it started, it just kind of got the wheel spinning in my head and... Um, I thought, oh, you know, maybe I'll make a pilgrimage to the San Francisco Zen Center. Yeah. And um, Or just any Zen Center in that same school Yeah. with the same style because um, the book definitely resonated with me. And it kept saying that uh, seated meditation is it. Like, that's there's really nothing to be gained by thinking about Buddhism or talking about Buddhism or reading about it. Right. But if you just sit there, right. it'll it'll sort itself out naturally. So I said, okay, well, I better sit here. And um, for some reason, I mean, I I understand now, but at the time it it was very baffling. They're very, very particular about how you sit, your posture. And so I couldn't really understand the description. So I went to a Zen, I was, I think I was on the East Coast when I read the book. So I went to a, a Zen center out there and just, they showed me the traditional Zen posture. And, um, I try, and I, now I realize that the posture, it, it really, it's almost sort of like a, um, a tactic for keeping yourself focused because yeah. if you're focused on your posture, it, you, it's definitely keep, keeps your mind from wandering as easily. Yeah. And, so it's more or less, it's like upright, uh, eyes mm-hmm. slightly open, hands yeah. in some yeah. position off your knees. Right, right. So um, it pretty much engages, you know, most parts of your body. You kind of keep all your muscles active to hold that posture. Mm. But at the same time, it's, um, you know, stable enough that you can make it through a normal meditation period without your legs falling asleep or without yeah. uh, getting a cramp or something. Yeah. So this it's pragmatic, but it also it is kind of the like go to I I I, because I like to experiment I've tried meditating you know in a very upright posture versus a more relaxed one Uh I can I can clearly see the difference when you're sort of taking control of your body and just holding it in place versus just sort of letting it go yeah and that makes me think of this thing a yoga teacher said once about um meditation or mindfulness and that it it isn't so much that you uh are are just in this totally let go and go with the flow and and of course allowing is what it is but that in terms of your mind it's almost a heightened awareness so that of of what you're thinking mm-hmm. um right because in many ways, that noticing what you're thinking is that 
embracing what you're thinking, just yeah. like letting it in and, and seeing, oh, I'm thinking about that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a trip, man. I, I definitely, I feel, um, you know, I get ant antsy, anxious real fast. Like, oh, when mm -hmm. is this going to be over? Mm -hmm. um, did you, have you ever meditated in a group? Did you do that at, at, yeah. at those yeah. centers? Yeah, I mean, and, and that's a key part of when you go to a Zen center, you meditate with a group of people at a certain time. So um, it's almost like you, one time I thought of it as sort of exploring solitude with some backup, you know, like mm. with company, because you're with all these people and you don't talk to them. You don't look at, you're not communicating, but you're there. So it's sort of, it's just like you're, stip, uh, you know, dipping your toes in the shallow end of solitude mm -hmm. um, before, before, you know, you, you really have to, so you don't have to feel terribly alone, but you can feel like at the same time, you're not just being overstimulated by conversation. So yeah. with the group is helpful and for a very practical reason, when you're with people, you're much more motivated to sit still. Yeah. <laughs> when I'm when I meditate at home, I sometimes I'll be sitting there, and then next thing I know, I'm like holding my phone and I'm like checking my email. <laughs> so. Possibly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so. Uh, there, there's that too. Yeah, it's a freaking challenge. It is unbelievable to me how challenging it is. Yeah. And. And there is, there's got to be a way, a, a way you can, well, whatever, I guess you just kind of stick with it and not, not be attached to the, the experience or the outcome. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel really glad that I'm, that I'm doing it. I have had some, uh, I, I mean, I think it's been all, it's been all positive, but it's such a funny, um, it's a funny thing. It's a funny thing. Mm -hmm. So what were you doing on the East Coast? Well, remember how I said that it took me some time to really make the switch? Yeah. Maybe I didn't say this, but when, yeah. when, I dis when I started to become aware that filmmaking just wasn't jiving with me. Uh -huh. And also there was this issue or this feeling that I had been spending all this time, I had all these goals that were trying to serve some purpose that wasn't really important to me or wasn't really what yeah. what I wanted. It was what I thought other people wanted or what. Yeah. Um, so I just thought, okay, well, I'm going to, I'm just going to retreat from society for a bit. Um, or at the very least, I'm going to break out of my, my habits because I felt like I was stuck in a rut. And yeah. so I just, um, you know, packed my car and drove around the country for a while. And, really? Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> Quite a while. Yeah. Huh? It was, it was, it was a, the better part of a year. How old were you? Uh, I must have been 26. What kind of car were you driving? A uh, Jetta. Nice. Yeah, so it's not a big car, but I, I slept in it a lot and managed to fit. Yeah, like with my feet in the trunk. Oh, really? <laughs> the seat it's a folded down. Through? Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> On your side? Like with 
I made, you know, I made a little bed in the back. It was kind of, kind of like just being in a very cramped, like, space capsule or something. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And, um, I did, I, I went up and down the West Coast. I went over to the East Coast. Um, and at the same time, I, I visited friends and family yeah. whenever I went through their towns. And, um, and you know, I just happened to pick up that book about Zen and read it during that trip. And, oh, cool. Yeah, it's perfect time to read about that. Wow. What were some of the... Um... What were some of the the roads you took across? Did you go across the top or the bottom or both? Mostly the southern okay. southern roads. Um, and I tried to take back roads as much as possible. So, um, you know, it would take me a couple weeks to actually get across the country, just right. going around through small towns and stuff. It, and it really just felt like I was driving from one Walmart to another. Because <laughs> that's you could sleep in those parking lots. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's so, so funny. Uh, that's such a thing. That's like Walmart's gift to society. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, do you know you know other people who did that? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, my mom did that for a long time. Huh. Uh, and yeah, I don't know why, I don't know where she heard about the Walmart parking lots, but that definitely was her kind of fallback plan. Mm. Um, that's awesome, man. That's kind of where I feel like I'm, I'm heading, I'm hoping for some of that action. I mean, I've been trying to line up some residency programs, but, Mm -hmm. um, I'm really feeling like this year is going to have some circulation to it and I'm feeling like I want to get out to the east coast kind of in the latter half of the year yeah how how did you um what was your sort of guidance like where and how were you kind of making decisions about where to go i think on the the very first day of the trip i it was very spur of the moment i thought um let me just go Mm -hmm. so i didn't really make any plans or arrangements up front i just i kind of i kind of just drove around for two weeks and then i went back home and just ended my lease and got rid of stuff and Mm -hmm. and then really uh got got ready for a long trip cool but maybe in the that first two weeks that might have been the best time in the whole thing because um it i was discovering that i really didn't need a plan Mm. um especially having a car i could just drive anywhere so um, right. So, and that had its pros and cons. Pro was very easy to get anywhere. Con it was also very easy just to kind of fall into old habits, even in new places. So, first thing I thought was I was in LA, and I um, just one night I said, you know what, this is it. I'm going. Nice. <laughs> and I got in the car. I left, and I think I maybe spent about five minutes putting some blankets in the car and some food. <laughs> And um, and I was off, and I just I drove out of the city, and um, you know, just stopped on the side of the road somewhere for the night, mm-hmm. and then the next day I drove to Death Valley. Cool. Thought, oh, you know, I'll go out and go out in some nature, some place I've never seen before, and then I got I I think I stayed at a campground there the next night, and I realized, well, this is just, you know, I didn't really leave 
the city. <laughs> I came to this little bubble of LA that's right. in in the wilderness. Um, it, it was like campground full of RVs. People were running generators and stuff. It just felt like, you know, I'm still in town. Yeah. So I almost gave up and just drove right home after that. But then I said, well, maybe I'll just go to the other side of the park and see what's going on. And I drove through the park and then there's this sign that says, you know, like this town's this way, this town, this way. And there, there was a town I'd never heard of before. And I said, wait a minute, I should just go there. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the key. Like I, cause I felt, felt myself just wanting to go to familiar places. Mm. And so I went somewhere unfamiliar. And then when I got to that town, I said, you know what, why even stop in a town? I'll just keep going. And then, um, so I, I kept going, and then around three in the afternoon, I was literally in the middle of nowhere, mm. like one of those basins that's totally empty, um, except for the road going through it. Yeah. And I started getting this anxiety, thinking, "Oh, where where am I going next?" Yeah. And then it hit me, like, you know, I'm, I basically found, the, you know, what I'm looking for. I'm in the middle right. of nowhere, and I can probably just pull off the road. And so, um, I did. I drove up this dirt road until the I was um till the highway was just gone and then I stopped and I just spent the day there. Cool. And I that was the first time in my life when I really felt free. Wow. So um I almost I, I still look back on that and think that was basically the beginning of my adult life. Yeah. Just going out and saying, Hey, you know, there's no reason for me to do this and I'm definitely not doing it for any purpose or any one other than just me feeling, feeling like I can influence my own life. Yeah. And, um, so it's an excellent feeling. Dude, that's so cool. And that makes me think of the feeling of, of like that, of, of, experiencing things for yourself and having experiences for yourself and um i think that that's something i started having more when i um lived on my own and then it was somehow kind of uh breaking free a little bit from like facebook and friends and like pictures and Mm -hmm. um all those things can really grab onto your present moment. And I, I remember, and it's really kind of recently where I've been able to fully enjoy things. Like I feel like sometimes it would take me out of enjoying things. Cause I'd be thinking of, Oh, I ought to take a picture of this or right. something like that. Right. And not just the pictures, but just that feeling of like, this is my life. And like, I'm just, this is for me. Like, and then also like, now I live with my parents and I have really, you know, I'm really close with both of them. And, you know, we tell each other about our days and, um, now even like if I, something happens and I just don't share it and not because I, I have, it's something I want to hide, but it's like, there's a little bit of a thrill about just like keeping something just for me, you know, Mm -hmm. it's such a good feeling. And that's like, yeah, that's so cool. You got, um, you busted out a little bit in the desert. Yeah, <laughs> it's a good place to start. Yeah. So, 
Um, so we're we've done well here. We've 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 put together a whole hour. Wow. How are you feeling? I'm good. Thinking you're gonna have to to break this up into like little chunks for people to listen to. Oh no, you kidding me? People people listen through these whole things. Okay. See, my my idea of internet content is like something that's five seconds long. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have read that the ideal podcast, or I think I heard this, the ideal podcast length is like thirty minutes or twenty five minutes. Mm-hmm. Because that's the average commute time, <laughs> but most podcasts sense. are are well longer. I mean, I enjoy a good a good a good long conversation. Yeah. Um, one thing I wanted to um, talk about before we close off is we. So the other conversation we had that I remember, um, we started talking about the the, the Rothschild family, <laughs> right? And like. I start telling you about my brother and all of the reading he does, and um, and then we were talking about fossil fuels. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I don't know. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Howdy, folks. Part two of my conversation with Matt Dyer is coming up right after this. These are the things that bother me. These are the things that bother me Maybe they shouldn't Maybe they shouldn't But these are the things These are the things that bother me Here's something that bothers me, and maybe it shouldn't. This is an excerpt from the novel The Language of Flowers by Vanessa Diefenbog. Page 154. Mother Ruby broke an egg into a pan, and it crackled. I delivered all twelve of my grandchildren, she told me with pride. You're still a midwife? Not legally, she said. But I still get 2 a.m. calls from all over this city, and I go every time. She handed me a plate of eggs over easy. Thank you, I said. I ate them and then walked down the hall to the bathroom, locking the door behind me. How long does it take to scramble some eggs or fry eggs over easy? According to this book, it takes about, oh gosh, Mother Ruby broke an egg into a pan and it crackled. I delivered all told my grandchildren, still with me, about 10 seconds. Now, either this pan is extremely hot or uh, the author is just trying to give us the feeling of snappy action happening in this book. But the problem is that the dialogue is occurring way faster than the actions could actually happen. And it bugs the crap out of me. Take the time to either write enough dialogue or add in a line of sitting there watching the eggs crackle in the pan. But don't try to pull the wool over our eyes and just say, oh, the eggs are done, because they don't cook that fast. These are the things that bother me. These are the things that bother me. Maybe they shouldn't. Maybe 
How you how you feeling is, about the the outlook currently? Did you watch the State of the Union address? No, I didn't. No, me neither. Did you vote last year? Uh, was it last year? A couple years ago. Yes, I did. Yeah, yeah. I thought, I, and that's the thing. I think it's important to engage with um, the political process for the point of voting. But this idea that we have to be watching the news all the time, you okay. know, and and just like the idea that we have to keep an eye on what John Boehner said at dinner yesterday. It's it's oh, kind of ridiculous. such a distraction. Right. It's not important stuff. So, um, you know, I'll, I'll just jump into it for voting. But at the end of the day, um, I also know that what what's presented in the media of, of politics is definitely just part of a show. And politics has always been a show. Yeah. Um, because the reality of politics is, pe- you know, people really competing for a lot of power, managing a lot of stuff, and it's complicated, and it just goes beyond what even someone watching, following the news all the time, if they're not a specialist in some particular area of politics, they're not going to understand most of it. Even if they are a specialist, they would probably just understand their area of, of specialization. So right. what the result is... Everything we hear about politics is just this, like, really kind of oversimplified yes. story, and 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 because it's so sort of processed, that you know, it it just turns into something else. It turns into something that's more emotional. So, that, I mean, just the stories the media convey. Probably, we don't hear the most important stuff because the really important stuff is probably boring. Right. We just hear the stuff that has more emotional, sensational hook to it. Yeah. Um, but even even stuff that's not covered by the mainstream media, like the Rothschilds or peak oil, I think there's still the potential for people to get sensational about it. Yeah. Because that's just what resonates. Um, right. And so much of like political concerns, it's we don't know what's true, so we just kind of. We just kind of hold on to what's um, what feels uh-huh. best to feel. Uh-huh. Um, whether it's be- we like it, be- we hold on to it because we like it, or because it scares us, or because it angers us, or something that gets a- an emotion out of us. But I think the the big picture is just a lot more um, bland because there's just so much stuff going on behind the scenes. Um, to make society work, mm-hmm. make all the pieces fit together, and if it were, if there really were some kind of vast conspiracy behind things, it would probably not produce the world we see. What what sort of world would it produce? Well, I I think about dictatorships where you do have a small group of people or even just one person with a lot of power. Yeah. And it, it's just goes way beyond their decision making capability because to make decisions, you have to process information and one person just can't process that right. much information. Right. So they make bad decisions and their country ends up in terrible shape. And so it's, um, you know, the fact is the world has a lot of problems, but it also our society and our system does a lot of things really well. 
and, um, and, and it's easy to take for granted, but I think something that I like to do when I'm, when I'm sort of in a mood where I just want to go appreciate things, when I'm walking through the grocery store, I'll look around and just say, holy crap, there's so much food here. Yeah. And people are just calmly just picking up what they want. Yeah. They're not, they're not fighting over it. There's nothing. Um, it's just so calm and abundant and nice. So, and that's, that's, I almost think, wow, this to someone 10,000 years ago, if you threw oh, them yeah. in a modern supermarket, they would think they're in heaven or something. It's just, it would blow their minds to think. Absolutely. So, um, you know, but at the same time, you can recognize that it's a very fragile system. And so we kind of worry that um, it could all fall apart. And, yeah. And, and the truth is it could if we didn't work at it. And that's what people work on. Like, you know, right. that's why, that's why people drive trucks and why uh, people farm and why people manage spreadsheets for distribution of food and stuff. And so that there's all this kind of, it's all this stuff people are doing. And that's, that's sort of all fitting together to make society run. Yeah. Um, you know, the reality is it's, it's stable enough to work when things are running, but in, you know, disasters, you can have local breakdown of that order. So Hurricane Katrina is a very good example of what can happen. And if, if we should really, the main thing we should worry about that's a, a real concern would be local breakdown of order for a few days because of a natural disaster. Yeah, I mean, I I guess I wonder if there's if there is such a a system that could really, I mean, what a system would look like that could really deal with that effectively. Well, it, <laughs> the problem is people don't want to spend. It it would just require you know saving up a lot more money and resources and just setting it aside for the event, you know in the off chance that something happens. Do you and, think if we were all if we were humans were all living in harmony with mother earth that we wouldn't have hurricanes oh we would definitely have hurricanes they're both earth just makes hurricanes <laughs> but what i'm saying she, is she well would. it's it's more how we organize ourselves you know if, if you have a city that's in the path of a hurricane right vulnerable to you know the question is how vulnerable do we make ourselves to these processes sure right building a city's right on fault lines and right in deserts it's all that right um, so i heard something well i heard this statistic let me see if i can remember okay the 85 richest people in the world mm -hmm. have the equal wealth of the poorest 50 percent of the world combined right now with something like that I would also want to look at who those people are from year to year. The 85? Yeah. Because, you know, maybe for, they might be the same people for 10 years, but what, you know, not only are like people in the street competing with one another, but those people are competing with each other too. Yeah. And, and so this idea that, that the world is sort of under the thumbs of a few rich people makes it sound like it's the same 
the same 85 people, right. Right. And, and the reality is people's fortunes come and go and they change. So, um, but that makes me, <clears throat> that makes me just feel like that is the, the product of a global, of a global system that's, and whether or not it's, I guess the, the, the big question, like to me, there's no doubt that, um, this, there are systems in place that promote, uh, you know, the seclusion and, and building of wealth and the, um, you know, that disparity and, and systems in place that keep poor people poor and, and, and protect rich mm -hmm. people. I guess the question is how conscious is it and how aware of itself is it? And, um, you know, is it, right. is that sort of, is that something in and of itself or is that just the what happens when um you know humans are competing with with one another i think it's both that you have you you take the competition that i mean all species on earth compete with each other and humans definitely have always competed with each other what's amazing is that the way we compete with each other nowadays, even though it leads to, you know, anything ranging from something really terrible, like uh, mass starvation, to economic or social injustice, or, um, or just something more mild, it's still just so much, so different from the, the level of violence that people experienced and committed hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago, you know, the, the world is incredibly peaceful. It's amazingly peaceful in spite of yeah. what we hear on yeah. the news. Right. What we hear on the news is the exceptions. Right. But the, I feel like, um, no, I agree in, in the history of humanity, it's never been this peaceful. And considering that we have not only a lot of people on earth, but we have places that are incredibly crowded yeah, and it's amazing people still get along. Of course, yeah. you know we have we have police, we have supermarkets full of food. These kind of things help people get along. But right. at the end of the day, the fact is it's pretty peaceful, and um, even with wars and violence. Um, yeah, but the, the other thing is, you said, does it just come of its own? And it kind of does. There's, there's well, we have the legacy of the past. It's very hard to un to. There's so much inertia. It's very hard for people to just sort of change all of society so that everyone is sort of ready to succeed in this particular society. Mm -hmm. And um, and I almost feel like there. What gives it so much inertia is that it is just ex extremely profitable. For, for some people to continue with the status quo. Right. So there's just, there's not a motive, there's not an incentive for, like there's not an incentive for tobacco companies to educate people about right. the effects of tobacco. And there's not an incentive for casinos to tell people that they're wasting their money by gambling. Right. And just in general, there's not really an incentive to, um, well, there's not there's not an incentive to educate everybody. There's definitely right. it's good for society for some people to be educated. Right. 
And I actually, I actually believe it'd be best for society for everyone to be educated and, and, and uh, in touch with reality and making good decisions for themselves. But I, I feel like sort of reality kind of goes between, falls between like the ideal and the worst case scenario. The worst would be if, you know, we just were completely oblivious to things and just settle everything with clubs. Right. And the best would be if, if people were all uh, knowledgeable and civil all the time. Yeah. But somewhere in the middle, you just have this mix. And and that's where things kind of fall. And the problem is when you have that mix, some people are going to be more surrounded by resources that help them. You know, I always I always notice people with parents who are doctors or engineers or lawyers. They they just kind of have no problem following a similar path. Yeah, and it's very smooth for them because they know exactly what to do. Yeah, and then people whose parents are not around, who are on drugs, who are in prison, just in, in their whole like little bubble of society is not presenting a clear path mm-hmm. to its life. Mm-hmm. And, and it's so much harder for them. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, the, the fact is public ed- education is really trying to help everyone and, and give people that chance. Mm-hmm. It's also very easily vilified and, and kid, you know, kids have kids don't really see that their their school system, in spite of its flaws, is probably the the most caring institution right. they'll encounter. Right. So, um, so yeah. there's yeah, it's change is, is slow. Change is slow. Um, I think about like that idea of a large portion of the population being rather uninformed and then i think the, the a lot of the problems or what what creeps me out is is um that population being sort of fed an idea or and and, and i think the biggest idea is the idea is the idea of of lack of of there not being enough to go around and that that you have to fight for survival and Mm-hmm. that you have to compete with one another and mm-hmm. i think that generally that isn't really the case but that's sort of like an assumption that everybody seems to have right. um, and it, that... well it would definitely be true if we didn't if if we didn't just keep working at it and that's that's the thing is i think the sort of like the dystopian visions of the future like total social collapse or all all the possible things that can go wrong i don't think they'll happen but that's because they those ideas scare us into preventing them from happen happening right. so you know knowing those things are possible we work to avoid them or better yet just it's actually just better if you have some positive reason to Kind of. yeah. yeah, but do you think that naturally we would progress in those ways? I mean, I guess I, I feel like generally the, the economic system is not something that the everyday person would come up with and say that's <laughs> fair and, and right. And I, mm-hmm. I guess I feel like our natural tendency 
um, right. really wouldn't lead us all to hell and that it's sort of these systems that we have been led to believe are our own um, or our truth that um, have created um, those doomsday right. scenarios. Right. Actually, come to think of it, what, when you first said that there's this false idea of lack, Yeah. I, I do feel like, so for the most part, notice I'm, I tend to just kind of, I've kind of found a way to accept or justify most of what's out there in the world. Yeah. And I, I see it as sort of, it's there because that's sort of the natural way for things to work. Right. And, and in many ways, it's the best realistic scenario. But right. I do, there is one thing that's very much in line with what you said that I do think is um, kind of off. And that is that this attitude of not just lack, like, there's not enough to go around for everyone, but also internally this idea that that we lack things and yeah. therefore we have to buy stuff to fill yeah. fix that. And yeah. and um, that's definitely been the core of um, so much of the um, American society. Yeah. At least the American economy is convincing people that they need something they don't really yeah. need. And um, it, it, that would be awesome if that just went away. But <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't think it, it's necessarily going away. And um, my, the other thing is my response to it is to, it's, it doesn't necessarily have to go away totally. I, no. can just, I can just kind of get out of it from my own life. Right, you know, because you can just become real, aware of... Yeah how you're tied in and how your actions are creating uh, what, what results they're creating. Right. So yeah. for the most part, you know, I'm not that easily convinced by ads. <laughs> right. Oh my I try God. to just ignore them as much as possible. But, um, but I, I get there's this idea that you can run a business by convincing people, by basically taking advantage of their insecurities yeah. and saying, oh, this will fix that. And and I, I think I can live with my insecurities and not necessarily try to, you know, go to the mall and, and fill in those holes. You know, it's crazy the way ads are heading is they're not so much, I mean, I guess this is, this is obvious, they're not so much selling the product, but it's not even that they're selling the experience of the product anymore. They're sort of just videos, feel-good videos. They incorporate a number of different images or figures from the past or ideas right. or images of happiness, and, right. and then, and then, and then they just dis you know display the, the company name. Right. <laughs> like, they're not even about the, the product at all. Right. And they're getting so good. <laughs> They're getting so good. Right. That's true. So much because a lot of um, a lot of what is being offered in our economy now is not stuff so much as services or. Yeah. Uh, it, well, there's actually been uh, there's an old saying in sales that you don't sell the steak, you sell the sizzle. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> and it's and I guess that's true of these even. Even things like McDonald's that are selling a product that you buy, yeah, their commercials are 
you know, they're always showing like people hanging out and partying and then yep. eating some cheeseburgers and yep. it's really cheesy, but I don't, de- they're definitely selling like the everything but the burger yeah. and just kind of trying to attach, associate that to the burger. When was but, the last uh, time you ate McDonald's? Oh man. Um, Been a while. I can't remember. Yeah. How about Taco Bell? Uh, now I remember the last time I ate Taco Bell because there is. An, have you ever been to Pacifica? Yes. So they own, the one and only beachfront restaurant in Pacifica is Taco Bell. <laughs> so I was there um, last year and had to go. Yeah. <laughs> but I've been to Burger King recently. How was that? Uh. It was okay. <laughs> There's a Burger King that closed here, um, and they're gonna put in a McDonald's uh. <laughs> in the same location. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? It made me think of uh, Pete Holmes. Always talks about um, this other podcast I listen to. He always talks about how the Burger King doesn't have their own like department for determining where to put Burger Kings. That they just opened across the street from McDonald's. <laughs> and just let McDonald's do the work. <laughs> I'm not sure what happened with this one. This is I wonder if this is McDonald's like like are they really do they really need another place to open or are they just really trying to right. stick it to Burger King and show that they can succeed? Right. <laughs> the best is um talking about just ads that don't even have like i always see these ads for schools and services and stuff and they it's just an ad of some random person or people smiling a montage and i love that i'm I'm actually just thinking of posters and printed ads yeah okay so they they (laughs) (laughs) because i i've definitely had to do some like i've had to make some flyers like for tutoring services and stuff. And so it gets me thinking like, well, what do you put on a flyer to kind of attract people? Mm-hmm. Maybe I should do, my flyer doesn't have any people smiling. I should get a picture of someone smiling, <laughs> put it on there. Yeah. Chances are those people aren't at all. They're models of some sort. Right. Right. You know, yeah. one of, one of the um, tutoring companies I work with, they have these, these books with problems in it on the cover is just they have like people on the cover so it's a physics book but it has somebody just some random person in a lab coat smiling or something Mm -hmm. (laughs) nothing to do with physics whereas a a real physics textbook like the one i used for class i'm looking at it right now it's totally you know physicists don't want anything to do with people they want they want to be just thinking about these very abstract pure ideas so it's it has like rainbows and beams of light and light an iceberg sure no people right (laughs) (laughs) yeah and if it has a person it'll be like a small picture of someone like squatting down on a on a lever or something exactly exactly Well, thanks for uh, thanks for chatting, man. Yeah, it's been uh, thanks for having fun. me.
So you uh, you got a pretty good you got a pretty good outlook. Sounds like I feel like things are gonna be okay. You're gonna be a doctor. Yeah, but even if I wasn't going to be, I think things would be okay. Yeah, right. What's one more doctor, right? Yeah. <laughs> I think the um, the the key thing, and I I can't say that I really feel this way, but I think the ideal would be to be able to say, even if I'm going to die in five seconds, things are going to be okay. That's it. So. Well, that's a state of detachment, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, but, you know, I don't feel that way. You don't feel that way. I think it's it's healthy to have some aversion to dying in five seconds. But Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I agree. But, but it is a good, something to yeah. shoot for. Yeah. I mean, that's an interesting idea. It's like, at what point are you detached and are you at peace? And then, on the other hand, maybe you really know, like, you really have a sense of, of a calling of what you're here to do. And that if right. things ended in five seconds, you wouldn't have done that. Right. And I'm hoping at some point I'll live to be old and look back on my life and say, yeah, I did what I needed to do. Yeah. Yeah, that would be nice. That would be nice. Um. So, are you still blogging about uh, medical products? I saw that one. Oh yeah, you know, after I did that, I started doing research for the next blog, and then, uh, I realized it was gonna suck up all my free time. Yeah, it can because. I, I didn't want to write something half-assed that would just be yeah. another piece of garbage writing on the internet. But at the same time, I just don't have the time or the inclination to, to you know, spend like half my weekend doing, right. doing that. So, and, you know, at, the, at least what I learned, in, in I'll say this, the main takeaway that from that second article I was going to write uh-huh. that citrus fruits are very good for you. Really? Yeah. I, um, I had no idea. And I mean, I have a pile of orange peels in front of me now I'm looking at. Oh, that's but great. I, I started eating uh, citrus after reading about all this research because I was under the impression that um, fruits and or that vegetables were better for you because they have less sugar. Sugar. Yes. And definitely there's this low carb trend mm-hmm. and um and it turns out vegetables are still good for you, but citrus fruits are better for you. What? So uh and even in in studies that looked at the effects of um citrus fruits on whether people develop type two diabetes, which is what people are trying to avoid with the low sugar, yeah. Um it helps prevent it. So wow. Citrus fruit has something else going on. Now, what about, I've heard that it's better to eat fruit on an empty stomach. I have no idea. That I, I don't know if that makes that big a difference because, you know, maybe there could be things out there I don't know yet. But the um, overall, the body is very... Let's hope there are some <laughs> things. I mean, I mean, that would be a big deal if it were true. But I... I, I think the body's very good at handling whatever you put into it. Yeah. And, you know, my theory, which I might find out is wrong when I go through medical school, is that um, that it's far better. It's it's okay 
to put some bad stuff in your body as long as you're giving it everything it needs. It's far worse to not get all your nutrients because then your body doesn't have the materials it needs to deal with everything else. So, and that, that might be why citrus fruit's good for you. Even if the sugar isn't great, um, it's just got a lot of vitamins in it. Oh, that's great. I love good citrus, man. Yeah. I was thinking about having a, a citrus, uh, peeling competition (laughs) and it would be like three legs the first leg would be uh peel a mandarin Uh and eat it (laughs) the second leg would be an orange Uh and you'd get bonus points or you'd get minus points for like the number of pieces of the peel (laughs) so ideally it's one you know it's one single piece (laughs) <laughs> and then the third leg would be to slice a grapefruit in half and section it, mm. you know, with a little paring knife and, and eat it. Mm. How do you funny. think, how do you think you would fare? I would, I could do the Mandarin. I've actually been practicing peeling a Mandarin in one piece. Are you doing a spiral or are you doing a penis? <laughs> <laughs> it starts as a spiral and then it just kind of starts branching out, but they all stay attached. Is that what it is? <laughs> no, I'm thinking the way I do it is it's like a cock and balls. It's like you do one <laughs> like around the middle and then and then you you know do the then you basically are left with a circular peel on the top and the bottom and you peel those off and those are the balls. Oh yeah. It's I kind of a strange one. But I have I've seen the very elegant like uh like spiral kind of mm. Well, I'm definitely a fan of, of the mandarins and any of these fruits that are um, easy bred to be easy to peel. Yeah, Hell because yeah. yeah, that's that's got me back on citrus because not just the sugar, but the peeling of an orange also is kind of a turn off before. Because of all the spraying and yeah, the spraying and also your fingernails. The fingernails. That's the thing because because uh, it just there's no. It takes forever, too. Yeah, so. Yeah, a real tough orange. And then what if you get through all that and it's not even juicy? Exactly, right? <laughs> That's the worst. Right. So uh, I'll, ta- I'll take that risk with the Mandarin. Right, it's a lot. <laughs> it's less of an investment. Right. Uh, so good luck with your classes. Thank you. And uh, your your students, and I hope you get chosen if it ever comes to it, that students choose your class. Oh, yeah. Actually, this semester is great. I've been um, – I get to teach both of the classes, so no more dueling instructors. What do you mean? Oh, oh yeah. nice. So none of those situations. Like, Oh, that's good. Where I have to go head-to-head with someone else. You can relax a little bit. Actually, you know, in the past, I I've, I think I've won those competitions, but I, I feel bad winning that because then it's that means there's someone else whose classroom is empty. And you're kind, you're kind-hearted, you're an empath. Yeah. Yeah, that's got to be terrible. Feeling. Yeah. <laughs> right. Also weird for the kids that are in it that maybe like tried to get in the other one and it's full. Oh, that's right yeah exactly yeah it's a bad place to be it's a bad yeah. place to be yeah. uh so. all right man all right well it's been great talking it really has
Well, uh, I hope you do it again. Yeah. Um, go ahead and uh, sign off, and then uh, I'll just give you a little lowdown after I turn off the recording here about the uh, the details of the podcast. Okay. Uh, are you on Twitter? <laughs> uh, not really. But you are on Twitter. Yeah. I, I had this other blog that um, I made a Twitter account for, but... I definitely never check it. Will you share it anyway? The Twitter or the blog? Your Twitter handle. I don't use There's... Twitter either, but it's just something you say at the end of a podcast. <laughs> I refuse. Twitter, <laughs> I, I'm too old. I just don't get Twitter. Fair enough. Let's see the point. Well, I guess if anyone needs to get in touch with you, they can just contact me. That works. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. And a big thank you to Matt for doing the podcast. If you have any questions, send me an email at gaberobertsart at gmail.com. And if you'd like to support the podcast, please visit gaberobertsart.com forward slash support. Uh, I'm going to leave you with a song by the one and only Bob Marley. This one is called How Many Times.
up to up to up